0: Hey, welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. Happy Solstice Week. Uh, This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Our program, as you know, is pretty special. It's a podcast. It's also airing on six stations in five states across the U.S., and we showcase voices and viewpoints that you will not hear on the big corporate-owned stations. You know, they've got their far-right backers, big corporations, big businesses, We've got small businesses, nonprofits, and listeners like you who support our work through donations and monthly pledges. So, if you want to make Sean Hannity quiver in his pricey little swivel chair, then yeah, become a sponsor or a monthly donor to the Fallon Forum. Okay, so uh, before I tell you about today's program, um, With my co-host, Charles Goldman. Delighted to have him in the studio. Let's thank our anchor small business partner, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines locally owned grocery store and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online also. And Gateway also offers a catering and floral service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, later in the program, uh, we'll be talking about the myth of a pandemic savings Dividend. We'll also look at the goal of net zero, which um, some are saying is an industry con. We'll take a look at the Supreme Court rulings been coming out left and right. There, some predictable, some surprising. And then uh, Debbie Griffin will be joining Kathy Burns for the final segment to talk about her experience as a first-time front-yard urban gardener. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the unholy link between the FDA and big pharma. Uh, you know, the the uh, there's a new Alzheimer's drug out and it was recently granted fast-track approval by the FDA. Uh, it was made uh, by the multinational biotech company Biogen, and yeah, you, you might think, oh, that okay, that's good, but maybe not. First of all, uh, uh, the drug costs 56,000 bucks a year, and that makes my EpiPen look like a steal. Uh, so that, that's, that's, that's not good, but wait, there's more. Just this week, an FDA advisor by the name of Dr. Aaron Kesselheim resigned after the FDA went against its own advisory committee. Uh, Kesselheim and the others on the committee um, recommended that this drug not be approved. The FDA did it anyway. Uh, Kesselheim has called this controversy, quote, the worst drug approval decision in recent U.S. history. And here to talk about it with me and Charles is Dr. Stephen Goldman, Stephen is a former FDA staff fellow in clinical pharmacology and regulatory drug evaluation sciences. He's also was the uh, medical director of the FDA's MedWatch program. And full disclosure, he is Charles' brother. Stephen, welcome to the program. Always good to be here, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, you think, okay, Alzheimer's drug being approved, that's really good. But apparently not the case.
1: I, well, let, let me... Let me explain a couple of things. Um, I was at the agency from 1993 to 1999, and I consider it an absolute highlight of my career. It was a great place to work, Uh, amazing people I was working with. And when I was there, I was told that I had one client, and that client was the American people. And at that point, with the exception of the commissioner herself, the only, those are the only political appointees. Everyone else was a strict civil service or commission corps. And the FDA exists to be a non-partial, independent, regulatory agency that makes its decisions based on the available science and in the interest of public health. I want to stress that.
0: Right. That's how it should be, huh?
1: Well, that's why the FDA exists. Right. And what's there are several aspects of this latest approval that are concerning to say the least. And by the way, there were three members of the advisory committee who resigned.
0: Okay, out of, and, how, out of, how, out of how many members altogether?
1: Well, I mean, uh, my understanding is that there were 10 uh, voting members. I believe there was one who had to abstain because he had actually been one of the investigators for the the company that had submitted the biologic uh, for review. And let me explain how the advisory committee system works. The FDA is under no obligation to follow the recommendations of advisory committees. Right. Let Let me be clear about that. They're outside advisors. What's interesting is when the FDA has not followed what the recommendations are advisory committees, they have for the most part been because the advisory committee has recommended for something that the FDA decided not to do.
0: Oh, so this is kind of the flip.
1: Yes, this is very unusual. There's a second aspect that, um, to my knowledge, I am not aware has happened before. The FDA submitted a joint document to the advisory committee with the applicant company. The FDA and applicant document to my knowledge I'm not aware
0: with Biogen? That this has happened before. They did that with Biogen, the pharmaceutical company?
1: That is correct. I'm look, I'm looking at the document right now. Okay. And by the way, all these documents are publicly available.
0: What's the name Stephen? of the What's the name of the drug by the way, Stephen?
1: Um it's uh, it was Aducanumab, By the way, it's not a it's not a drug, it's a biologic. Okay. It's a biologic moiety and um, even though it was done under the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research I, have, I mean, again, this is what Public Citizen pointed out. Um, I am not aware of that ever being done before. To my knowledge, it's always the applicant who submits documents, and the FDA documents are separate for good reason because the evaluations are separate.
0: Right. This, this kind of has big pharmaceuticals fingerprints all over it, doesn't it?
1: Look, you've got, you've got a very fraught situation here. You have a disease entity that has tremendous morbidity and uh, eventually mortality. Right. You have limited products available that have any efficacy at all. Having said that, it is circumstances like this. And by the way, having been on both sides of this, as, as a neuropsychiatrist myself, believe me, I would be delighted
0: if we had a cure for Alzheimer's, an, yeah. Right,
1: if right. we had an effective agent for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease, believe me. And the advisory committee, the professionals at FDA, I mean, don't forget there are docs, uh, pharmacologists, pharmacists, uh, biostatisticians. The FDA's got a cadre there. Right. Many of whom have treated patients with Alzheimer's disease, and, and the advisory committee did it the same way. There is no vested interest not approving a product if it's effective. On the other hand, it is the responsibility of the FDA to ensure that any product that's approved for use has demonstrated effective, effectiveness and the benefit risk profile is such that it enables it to be put on the
2: market. Neither of which this drug needs.
1: Well, you know, Charles, that, 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 that's a really interesting point because I've been reading, I've spent hours in preparation for this interview. Going over the documents that are available. And, and I'm most concerned about the neurology community. Because what are they going to do to advise patients? Because this product has been approved on an expedited basis, on a conditional basis, where we don't know if it's efficacious.
2: Well, the research and, that they're basing it on does not support its efficaciousness. They tortured the data to find the group that. A surrogate marker, which has nothing to do with clinical efficacy, was used. A, a marker on on CT scan, essentially.
1: Well, and again, this is this is what's really troubling about this. They're using a marker, and what very simply, I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. That's the formation of plaques, you know, beta amyloid plaques. Okay. There is not one product that's been looked at over over many years that works with that mechanism to be shown to be effective in Alzheimer's disease.
0: So my guess is that in the near future, when this drug is being used, we're going to see failure after failure. Is that that a a optimal prediction? At a huge cost
2: to the Medicare system predominantly. Right.
1: Uh, Well, the jury is out because they're using a surrogate marker that has not shown to be associated with efficacy. In this population, there's also something else here. The FDA approved it for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease, even though the patient population was those with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease, not severe disease. Hmm. There was no stipulation in relation to that.
0: And and let me ask you about this, too. The cost, Biogen is defending the cost, $56,000 per year per patient. That's, I mean, again, that's a crazy uh, price tag and the FDA is okay with that. Uh, that the charge. Well, the determine. FDA
1: does not is not supposed <laughs> okay, to look sure. at the FDA they, does okay. not look at pricing. That is right. not the FDA's responsibility, as you know. Does
0: somebody have oversight of pricing?
1: Well, Charles, explain how who has oversight of pricing. No, I mean and who pays for it?
0: Okay, all right. It, it, Medicaid. <laughs> the
2: only the only way this drug doesn't get paid for is if uh, Medicare uh, comes to a conclusion that it, it that it will not pay for it. Mm. And then there's going to, of course, be all sorts of tumult over that. Um, Which we've seen in the past. Right. I mean, let's face it. This drug will never get approved in any country where there's any sort of uh, system like in the UK where pricing is brought into the mix when you have a National Health Service. How much can you spend on one
0: disease? So what what recourse does the public now have to push back against this ruling by the FDA?
1: Well, um... It's limited. I mean, the, and again, I'm, you know, when I was at the FDA, I helped write labeling. I was the medical director of MedWatch, which is the adverse event reporting program and information program on safety. The decisions we made and the decisions I certainly hope the professionals at FDA continue to make, you're always thinking about the man or woman sitting in their office, trying to give the best information possible to patients in terms of making treatment decisions. as as Charles does every day with his
0: patients. Stephen, we could talk about this for a long time. It's pretty interesting. I'd like to have you back on sometime as we go forward with this to see how it pans out. Uh, Folks, we've been talking to Dr. Stephen Goldman about the FDA's approval of an Alzheimer's drug that uh, has raised a lot of concerns, including some resignations on the advisory committee that uh, recommended against approving it. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. When we come back, folks, uh, Charles Goldman and I are going to talk about the pandemic savings dividend. Real thing? Mythology? Back in a minute for that conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Uh, Thanks to our nonprofit partners, uh, Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address the climate crisis and prevent the abuse of eminent domain to build the Dakota Access Pipeline. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Okay, Charles Goldman in the studio with me uh, for the rest of the program, except for the very last segment when Kathy Burns will talk with Debbie Griffin about her experience as a first-time front-yard gardener. Charles, I want to start it off by looking at, um, at the, uh, the assertion made by what I call the official mouthpiece of the status quo, the New York Times. Uh, they recently wrote, quote, Americans are spending some of the savings that they accumulated during the pandemic, including money from government stimulus checks. And my question is, what planet are these people from? Uh, that's not my experience with people I know. Uh, people are struggling as they always have been, and it's just—it's um, not—it's not like folks were stashing away this this this, uh, this pandemic relief check or well, two. that actually—that's
2: not entirely true. Uh, the savings rate in the United States went up from six uh, to seven percent uh, over 19 percent during the pandemic,
0: and it's already dropped down quite a bit.
2: Uh in the last month it right. did drop down. That's
0: correct. Yeah. yeah. And again, that that's that's the overall picture. There's a right. lot of folks and especially the you know, lower income people who were who were impacted worse by the pandemic than most are, are the folks who they weren't saving their checks. Well mm-hmm. even if
2: they were, in even if they increased their savings by nineteen percent, nineteen percent of almost nothing is nothing. Right. You know, yeah. So that's you know, when you express a statistic in, in a relative sense, of course, it, it only has meaning to those. Look, we already know that the vast majority of people in the United States couldn't handle a, a sudden expense of $500. Right. We know that over 50% of Americans have less than $10,000 in their retirement accounts. Right. Um, so for all you out there who love the idea of uh, getting rid of uh, Social Security or privatizing Social Security, Thinking over fifty-seven percent of Americans in. are going to be living on Social Security, which
0: is basically an open-ended, lifelong annuity. Um, yeah, that twenty-nineteen report by the Federal Reserve: forty uh, percent of all Americans were unable to pay an unexpected four hundred-dollar bill um, if, if it should come along. I mean, so you know, I, again, I don't. I I, I think the there's, there's painting this picture that oh, everything's great now the pandemic's over, people have been saving their money, go out and spend it all, isn't. Isn't part of the problem that... Well, that's that, exactly that, what people are doing.
2: Well, I mean, if you go, you know, I just traveled recently, and you're going to see it. I mean, that's what
0: people are doing. Who, who, which people? I mean, not the 40% that can, can't, be, uh, can't uh, handle a $400 expense. Some of them do, because well, they simply do it on credit, obviously. That's well, okay, how people in well, this country live. Well, and again, following the lead of the U.S. government... Well, let's, yeah. let's live on borrowed money.
2: <laughs> well, actually, it's very different to live on borrowed money when you're the government since you're also printing the money. Sure, of course. <laughs>
0: yeah, but still, it's a bad role model. Bad role
2: model. No, I, 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 I would say this. The biggest mistake as far as I was concerned with the stimulus checks was that they went to people whose incomes were greater than eighty dollars to $100,000. Sure. And they should have been targeted uh, to a greater degree at people who – were making much less than that. Yep, The way things work in the United States, by making them, you know, go to people who didn't need them, um, it makes it more politically uh, acceptable to those people because they get money too. Yeah. And those are the people who did put the money away.
0: The other thing was nobody had anywhere to spend it for a long period of time because everything was closed down. Right. Yeah. But speaking of people who got stimulus checks and didn't really need them, uh, well, no, Pro- the rich people that you're going to talk about didn't get stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. It did cut off at like 150. Oh, okay, still, but uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah. But even, being, all right, but, but the the universe beyond that, uh, yeah. ProPublica just did all of us, I think, a big, a big favor by, uh, well, by, by telling us what we already knew, but with really hard data, they reported, and I'm I'm surprised it hasn't been kind of a pushback. Uh, any, maybe there's a lawsuit coming, but they reported that based on the uh, tax returns of um, of a uh, numerous really, really ultra-rich Americans, including Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Murdoch, Musk, uh, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, that crowd, um, that they pay incredibly low taxes, or in some cases, none at all. Well, that's
2: both interesting, but also not new information. Right. Because we, we know that in terms of the um, Absolute amount of taxes paid to the federal government, uh, the vast majority of them are paid by people whose incomes are between $100,000 and $400,000, um, with about 50% of people paying essentially no taxes at all. Um, it, I, I think the thing that's intriguing here is most people don't understand the difference between wealth and, and you know assets, essentially. Wealth in this country accrues to very few. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, even if you make 400000 500000 maybe even up into the millions, you're basically a high-priced wage slave <laughs> because that's how you're treated <laughs> by the tax system. The tax system right. is absolutely skewed to those who have wealth, which have very little to do necessarily. And some of these people are extremely, uh, you know, active in terms of, of creating industry creating jobs but a lot of people who are wealthy do nothing you know it's sure. hereditary and and right. and that is treated very very favorably by the tax system and this is exactly what the pro information is showing is how skewed the system is to people who who earn money, yeah, good, as opposed to people who inherit or uh, by other well, ways invest? Well, and you and,
0: can you can also even if you're earning money, you can still earn too much, and may, either by paying your workers too low or pricing your products incorrectly or you know unfairly. I mean, Jeff Bezos, he his example was uh, was um, presented in the ProPublica report. His income, his wealth rather, mm-hmm. rose by 120 billion. Um, during a 12-year period from 2006 to 2018. And much of that would be by the appreciation of the tax
2: of the stock price of Amazon.
0: Right, yeah. But, but, you know, his, but his federal taxes only went up to, uh, what, 1.09% of his wealth, of the wealth gain? I mean, that's, the situation for the average household was pretty much the opposite. It was, uh, yeah, for the average person, taxes amounted to more than 100% of their wealth increase. Right, because what Bezos is able to do— is until he sells Amazon stock, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to show any profit from it. But so why why even, how how come anybody, Democrat or Republican, how can any elected official in the U.S. Congress think that that's fair? It's not. Okay, so what? (laughs) But the problem (laughs) would be,
2: so how would you change, I I know what we're going to talk about, which is the idea of a wealth tax, um, which is what Elizabeth Warren talked about in particular during, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the campaign, um, it's it's a very cumbersome system, and the question would be how would you do that? Um, because if well, you're going to what's so cum- cumbersome well, it's cumbersome about. because if if much of pe- if if much of what people are holding is in stocks, so are you going to market to market? That is, say this is how much they have as of December thirty first of this year or whatever the tax year is going to be. And then what happens if that stock is worth less the next time around when December 31st rolls around? So what do they do? Do they get money back? I mean, it's, it, it's a potentially very cumbersome system. Yeah. But I, I I agree. I mean, well, first of all, what you have to get rid of is any kind of exclusions. Treat capital gains, treat wealth, I'm sorry, treat capital gains and treat income exactly the same way. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The, this whole, it's the whole nonsense about capital gains and so doesn't make the economy work any more effectively. So
0: between those two and the, uh, the option currently being proposed by Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, um, well, I guess I guess guess I guess that is his proposal basically, but um, Biden, Biden wants to uh, increase corporate taxes. Well, that's um, not going to affect Jeff Bezos. He's, no. not holding, he's not paying corporate taxes. he's paying individual taxes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so well, no. I mean, uh, what is anybody going to have the No, do you the want right to, thing If or? you want to
2: stop this, you stop allowing people to pass wealth from generation to generation. It could be never taxed, yeah. essentially. So all this nonsense about the death tax—if you want to make your tax system fair—then don't allow this 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 wealth to be passed from generation to generation. Make you have to price it. At what it's worth at the time of the demise of whoever is holding this wealth, and then you tax it at that point, and then whatever they do with it with the you know, with the remainder, which is going to be formidable, um, you tax it again. If they're not going to bring it back into the system because they're going to keep it, you know, as non-liquid assets and stocks they'll ever want to sell, then you tax it when they try to pass it on.
0: It seems like the only way to accomplish this politically is to tie that with. With uh, permanent structural reductions in the taxes that your average person pays, so that voters say, "Okay, I see this. The rich dude is going to be paying more, and I'm going to be paying less. Okay, I can get I can get behind that."
2: It, but income tax isn't the problem that right? most people well, in this well, country have. It's it's right, it's, but, but you, it's you, you, regressive taxation but you, like sales tax. Sure,
0: but you tie it to the whole you, 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 one omnibus tax bill that deals with all those things: income, inheritance. Uh, sales tax property, just to try to mm-hmm. somehow manage it all into one package. So oh, that- no, I
2: agree with you. I agree with you. Well, first of all, the, unfortunately, though, the most sales taxes are state sales taxes, and the government, the federal government doesn't control them. Uh, real estate taxes are also local. So you have to work at your local level, yeah. too, if you want to make from fairness. The, the problem, of course, is, is that what's the incentive? Because the billionaires are the ones who pay for our politicians. You know, as one radio commentator has suggested— Get rid of the suits. Have them put on like NASCAR overalls <laughs> sponsors, and have right, the corporate right, right. sponsors
0: on them. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, corporate sponsors. We're going to be uh, taking a short break here, Charles. When we come back, we're going to talk about net zero. And uh, apparently there should be some uh, some uh, politicians wearing corporate sponsors uh, relevant to that conversation as well. Because net zero is really coming under attack as um, maybe nothing more than an industry con. We'll be back in a minute for that conversation on the Fallon Forum.
4: Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and
0: rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. back to the forum, and thanks to the local businesses that make this program possible, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page, or by giving Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. And thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village, where Dr. Joel Westrom's staff is fluent in both English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, welcome back to the program. Dr. Charles Goldman with me. You know, net zero is talked about in very favorable terms as the goal, what we need to get to to solve the climate crisis. And, uh, you know, there's a really strong... Strong commentary written by uh, uh, three scientists: James Dyke, uh, Robert Watson, and Wolfgang Knorr. Uh, they have um, 80 years of experience between them, thinking, writing, studying climate change, and uh, they admit that uh, they had they were deceived by the notion that net zero made sense. And the bottom line is, uh, you can't you can't sequester yourself out of this dilemma. You can't offset continued fossil fuel consumption uh, by, by planting more trees, by geoengineering the clouds. There's, there's, no, there's no solution, there's no trick or, you know, or, or, or little gimmick that's going to fix the problem. And unfortunately, even after James Hansen brought this to our attention back in 1988, we have uh, decided to embark on a pathway that is not sustainable. Charles, welcome well. to the program.
2: Oh, thanks, Ed. Yeah, I mean, this is something, you know, that we've talked about on and off for a long time. You know, there's two sides to the equation about uh, our problem with global climate change. And we t- tend to focus on the side of the equation about how do we mitigate the damage that we continue to do every day. We, we shrink away in many ways from talking about the other side of the equation, which is how do we stop putting so much yeah. in terms of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere? Um, and as we know, the more we do that, there's actually a, a synergistic effect where now you start releasing uh, carbon stores that are actually in already the, the carbon sink of the Earth back into the atmosphere, such as you know, the melting of uh, the tundra up in you know, Siberia and places like that, the melting of the Arctic. Um, and I thought you – know, you sent me this piece, and I, I thought there was a fascinating part of it in which they talk about you would have to take pretty much 80 percent of the arable land on the Earth, put trees there, there, on yeah. it – So that takes a lot of
0: farmland out of production. Well, exactly. It also probably removes land from the, uh, I mean, there are indigenous people who uh, currently live on a lot of that land that you would have to plant in trees. And you would have to plant trees that were able to grow and mature very quickly to
2: sequester the carbon. So that's not going to happen.
0: In some scenarios, they want to grow those trees to a certain age and then cut them down for biomass.
2: Right. To then burn again and then put it right back into the atmosphere. So. It, then, then, you know, the other thing which has been just a pie in the sky is, is carbon sequestration, carbon dioxide sequestration by pumping it back into the earth. You know, there's not a single plant that exists at any scale um, yeah, that, that's, right. that's doing it except for demonstration products. Yeah. So that's not going to work either.
0: Yeah, this is an idea that's been touted for a while but has no viable uh, examples, no effective models that are existing, when, I, kind of along the same lines of, uh, of uh, clean coal. You know, well, right, or or carbon sequestration relevant to uh, coal uh, coal production It's just <laughs> hey, and then it's you you know then you have dream. the
2: ideas of of reflecting the sunlight back at the sun, um, you know, and the one the, there are various suggestions on how to do that, but you know one would involve injecting a whole bunch of uh, sulfur dioxide up in the in the high stratosphere, I believe, and the problem with that, of course, is that it's going to turn Acid rain into what is a relatively minor problem now into a major problem, mm-hmm. and the atmosphere will look like Blade Runner. You know? <laughs> I mean, it'll be like some horrible red color. You know, so, <laughs> and then there are consequences, obviously, to reflecting sunlight back. Since remember, plants do photosynthesize, and they do kind of like to get, uh, you know, sunlight on them. We've noticed that with our garden. <laughs> That's right. So, the the long and the short of all this is, and it, there's no technological out. From what really what we have to do, which is, you know, move to at least renewable sources, but be careful. Again, we've spoken about this too. You know, things like, uh, you know, things like solar require, first of all, maintenance. They also require rare earth minerals, and there's a certain energy cost to creating solar. There's a waste issue about what to do with solar panels when you're done with them. Um, so, you know, so none, nothing is free in in this in this arena, but the one thing we'll never talk about in the United States, which you know, Dick Cheney did talk about a long time ago. He said conservation is a virtue, <laughs> but you know, just but, not not of the American no, people yeah, are no, willing no, to accept. I want to hear yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, and that is really the problem, which yeah. is that people want to maintain exactly the same lifestyle, if not continue to waste more energy
0: well but you know we elect people who ideally in theory have vision leadership and a willingness to make the tough calls to to help move us collectively in the right direction no they don't they make the tough call which is how to get reelected the next time which is not actually that's that's why i said ideally by telling them
2: that you're going to have to actually use less the last person who did that was jimmy carter and look what that did I'm not right. sure he was the last person, but he was probably. Well, the he was the last prominent. politician of prominence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the president of the United States turned down the thermostat to the point that his staff was wearing sweaters and overcoats. Yeah, but they
0: were beautiful <laughs> sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was some some Irish uh, Irish knit there. Um, but uh, you know, it's a, we we've had all these opportunities to wake up and and make a difference. But it, we keep coming up. They they keep coming up with some new ideas, uh, some corporate sponsored notion of how we're going to fix the climate problem i mean kathy and i at a cafe in johnston back in 2019 andrew yang you know saying that one of our sol- i mean he agrees that climate change is emergence is is issue number a1 i think is how he put it but one of his solutions pack dirt around glaciers you know that that, that makes no sense right yeah. Um, reflecting light back into the, you know, rays back into the sun makes no sense. Stashing all this... Well, I don't think the sun's going to care if
2: we reflect the rays back. Oh. I, but, I mean, it doesn't make sense in terms of the overall yeah.
0: need for illumination. I mean, all, all this really <laughs> is, is, is a corporate effort to make excuses for continuing on the bad behavior that has made a few people really rich and has made the rest of us, at least in this country, reasonably comfortable. Again, not everybody... We forget that there's this huge underclass in this country that continues to grow, but it doesn't. It isn't. A, it isn't a class that has a lot of political power. Um, if we did, you know, maybe we'd see the right kind of ad, the right kind of um, approach to actually dealing with the problem and not trying to find a quick technological fix out of it. Well, our whole economic system is based on excessive consumption. Well,
2: there we I go. I mean, capitalism is a system of making you want what you don't need. Yeah, so... You know, it, it, isn't it, that the it, problem? I mean, the problem is capitalism is an efficient system for creating what people need, but it's become a system mm-hmm. in our hands in this country yeah.
0: of excessive consumption. And I would say that that, that Chinese-style communism is not much better. <laughs> well, you know? no. I, I mean, the, the, if the, if the if the economic model, whether it's capitalism or com- communism, is based on getting bigger and bigger, both in terms of your economy... And and in your waistline, you know, then we've got a problem. We've got an unsustainable solution that's going to want to continue to satisfy that urge with more and more, uh, more and more, you know, burning of fossil fuel to, to 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 make this all possible.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've got people, for instance, who you would I would say are you know, anti-authoritarian. You know, the people who are like into cryptocurrencies and things like that because it's so alternative. <laughs> you know, and it keeps it keeps the government out of your hands. As, as it turns out, the government can get into your crypto account. Look what happened to the you know the hackers right. who lost about half of the real. The, the only thing government can't, can't figure out a way to do is to tax Jeff Bezos. <laughs> That's right.
0: So, so let me ask you. this. Well,
2: one. no, just okay. getting back to this crypto thing. I mean, this is exactly the point, which is people who are like you know people who are into crypto are, are, are generally going to be you know, more educated people. You know, people who do who are out on the internet and looking for you know these kind of innovative ideas. I mean, cryptocurrency is mining other supercomputers, for. I mean, you know, at, at, at the cost of like a nuclear power plant of energy, you know, yeah. if not even more. And this is the kind of ludicrousness. I mean, we're using electricity to have computers mine currency on another computer. What a moronic idea yeah. in terms of excessive consumption, right. yeah. you know. But this is kind
0: of, so, this is what we're presenting yeah. with. Again, these, these authors in this article about net zero, uh, I found one, one comment that I found very compelling and very disturbing too was uh, after the Paris um, COP 21 Summit back in 2015, uh, quote, instead of confronting our doubts, we scientists decided to construct ever more elaborate fantasy worlds in which we would be safe. The price to pay for our cowardice is having to keep our mouths shut about the ever-growing absurdity of the required planetary-scale carbon dioxide removal. You know, net—they—they're they, just saying we can't—we—we we, we can no longer talk about net zero and these fantasy solutions. We've got to actually deal with the problem, and it may be too late. I—I'm <laughs> uh, fearful that it is,
2: to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think we, we can, at this point, only sh- determine the time to when the inevitable is going to happen. And if we continue this way, it's clearly going to come faster. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, uh, and again, I'll, I'll read one more quote from this story in the conversation. Uh, quote, the time has come to voice our fears and be honest with wider society. Current net zero policies will not keep warming to within 1.5 degrees Celsius because they were never intended to. They were and still are driven by a need to protect business as usual, not the climate. If we want to keep people safe, then large and sustained cuts to carbon emissions need to happen now. That is the very simple acid test that must be applied to all climate policies. The time for wishful thinking is over. But it's not
2: just obvious carbon emissions. It's not just your car. It's what you consume. It's what you buy at, you know, big box stores. It's cement. It's, it's, it's industrial
0: agriculture. Yeah, it's so many things. You know,
2: 70-inch screens instead of 48. I mean, it's, it's all these things that contribute to your carbon footprint. Yeah, and you need to be aware of that.
0: Well, I, I'm, you know, it's it, not making
2: it's, it so desirable to have everything.
0: It's one not of these a things. fun article to read because because it's the truth. <laughs> well, because it's the truth, <laughs> and it, it it cuts. To, I mean, back to what you said earlier, Charles. It cuts to the root of um the, pro- the root of the problem is that we have a society built on excessive consumption, ever growing levels of consumption, ever accumulating levels of wealth, and again, you 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 pinpointed, you know, capitalism. And I, I'd say yes, yeah, sure, but Chinese communism isn't much better. Right? Uh, you know, well, no, it's, uh, actually, it's worse on some on many levels. Well, they're they're bigger they're bigger coal users than we are. Well, yeah, and, they're all, and there's also a lot less freedom over there than we have here. But you know, freedom or no freedom, it's leading to a problem that it's not going to matter which country you live in. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in big trouble, and we need to get this under control immediately. So, there, sobering. But let's Even move. if we have to limit ourselves to one hamburger a week. One hamburger a week. <laughs> Make it a big one. A double, a double burger. <laughs> All right, hey, uh, let's move on to a lighter topic Supreme Court rulings. A mix of predictable and surprising. With that conversation, Charles Goldman, back in a minute on the forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515 232 That's 232-8766.
0: Back to the Fallon Forum coming at you from the heart of America's Heartland from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our local business partners, including Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Clipsham offers planning and design services for high performance, low maintenance homes and buildings. Mark specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to Groovy Goods, Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop, where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods calls itself a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. All right, Charles Goldman's with me here, folks, and uh, we're going to switch gears and take on a lighter topic, the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> a lighter topic. A lighter than, topic. A lighter
2: topic than, oh, oh then the uh, end of the, the Earth from global the, climate the, change. The, yeah, the end of the world we well, the is Well, the end I should say, of human civilization. The Earth will persist, yeah, at least but, for a while. Well, okay, but on <laughs> the
0: Supreme Court, which persists in, I mean, in all their glory, um, and some people said, yeah, okay, this is fairly predictable, what's happening so far. Some are surprised. But uh, looking at the ACA, um, the Obamacare, of course, the Catholic Charities uh, ruling in Philadelphia, and also the NCAA ruling, which um, that one actually surprised me more than anything. But Yeah, why? Well, uh, let's say that for last.
2: Okay. Let's start with the ACA. <laughs> okay, so the the ACA case was the case that was— uh, basically a straw man case set up by uh, litigation, I believe it was in Texas, in which uh, the claim was that, and, and then Texas was joined by the usual suspects of red states bringing <laughs> this case, um, that because the mandate was zeroed out, that essentially the law, the entire Affordable Care Act should be zeroed out as unconstitutional because the mandate is inseparable from the entirety right. of the law. Uh-huh. And you, you know, during the hearings for uh, particularly uh, Amy Comey Barrett, Justice Amy Comey Barrett, uh, you know, a lot of there was a lot of a lot of histrionic, uh, you know, a lot of hysteria and, you know. You know, mulling it over on the various outlets that, you know, she had already expressed her antipathy towards the law and therefore she was going to be the final vote that even if Roberts went along with the three liberals, that um, this would be the end of the ACA. So it turned out that really they – it was a 7-2 vote. Um, the usual suspects on the other side, Alito and Thomas, or yeah. well, maybe it was Alito and Gorsuch on those on, on this. Maybe even Thomas voted with the seven. Um, really ruled in a way that decided nothing, which was they ruled that the states had no standing because they couldn't prove any injury. Right. From but, but does, from it.
0: isn't this kind of the last nail in efforts to repeal Obamacare? Uh, it might be. Uh,
2: they could try again under some other... In fact, if you read the dissents, they
0: kind of suggested if they really want to go at this, yeah. how they might go at it. Well, what's troubling to me is that Obamacare is not that great. I mean, what we really need is some kind of single-payer universal health care system. I mean, there's lots of options in terms of how that's uh, how that's managed, as we can see, just by looking around at the rest of the world. But but the Obamacare, to me, has been kind of a distraction from the... What, what's really, uh, what, what's really at the heart of what America needs. So, maybe if this is the last we are going to hear about um, challenging Obamacare, we can get back to a conversation about a more, uh, a more full-fledged systemic reform. Well, I, I think the problem with that is, is that it appears that
2: the Biden administration's plan now is, now that it's going to not have to fight again about it, that they're going about, as he says, improving it. And the question is, what's that going to look? <laughs> yeah, like? what does that what does that mean? What do, how do you improve it? How do you improve a mediocre health care reform? Uh, well, we haven't seen the plan yet. I mean, I mean maybe you know, there's do, been
0: do take what Bernie Sanders wants to do and expand Medicaid. Expand Medicare. Medicare. Sorry, yeah. Take and, it down to age 60. Yeah. Why? why would well, we, that's still going to leave people under age 60. With, sure, but it's a huge start. It's a big step. It's a much bigger step forward, in my opinion, than than than. Uh, and again Obamacare did some good things I don't don't deny that but they're cosmetic they're they're, they're small steps when we need a we need a big overhaul. and if you can take the the program that really is universal health care but now only available to certain disadvantaged populations and people over 65 you know if you can start broadening the universe that are, mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that, um, that that can apply for that isn't that a The best step forward.
2: Well, but you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to restructure the entire industry, which is you're going to have to. Well, (laughs) but you're basically going to have to get the the patients that employer health care is now covering into that system, and then somehow tax the corporations, who you would think would be looking for a way out of the ever-increasing sure. amount of money they're you, having you to would, spend. You would think so. You would you think they would think Other would than
0: insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, the big hospitals, you would think the rest of the business community would want that. Right. You would think that. Yeah. But, but
2: you, know, you that's would be all wrong. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> no. So I think the, you know, the first decision was um, it was not surprising if you had followed the questioning Appeared pretty clear that they were going to vote against the, right. the state.
0: So what about Philadelphia? The, right. So the, the Philadelphia case, drooling. they
2: also just kind of avoided the big issue, which is, and here again, the it was a nine nothing decision. But the three of the conservative justices wrote that they were very unhappy that they didn't really uh, address the main issue here, which is that um, does the government have any right to, when interfacing with organizations affiliated with religions, forcing them to go against their Religious precepts. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, it was decided on a very limited basis based on evidently how the contract was written. Um, and that, therefore, the way the mm-hmm. contract was written, the Catholic organization—and this was 9 nothing, so the, the three liberal justices agreed that it just strictly applying the law that it was an infringement on the First Amendment rights. But I think the, the risk group.
0: here is that this, this court ruling really opens up the door for potentially um, other, uh, other incursions into equality for the LGBT community. Um, potentially, although a lot of the LGBT
2: community felt pretty much reassured that they they could have really taken this and and made it a much more broad-based decision, yeah. that would have been uh, very injurious to the interests of, of any kind of yeah. outsider to the you know the mainstream in the United States, um, and so it, it's hard to interpret. I mean, it's it's certainly um, it. It was as limited a decision as they could make it. Right. Now, the NCAA one, I mean, personally, I could care less. But, I, you know. That's because you're not a real American. That's because I'm not a real American. <laughs> and, and, and this was, this was, this was actually, uh, you know, anything the NCAA defends, I think we should all be against. But nevertheless. <laughs> what? It, it isn't, March Madness it, isn't good enough for Well, you? No, it isn't, it isn't as much as it seems, which is that it's not that they can be paid. Beyond their educational scholarship, it is can they be paid for other things that they might do, like any other normal person on that college campus? In other words, they couldn't even get a job at the bookstore
0: hmm. and
2: get paid for it because they were on athletic scholarship. Yeah, That's just crazy, right? It was it was crazy stuff. Um, so why,
0: why would the NCAA defend that?
2: I, I don't know. I mean, they, I didn't really pay much attention to it because it involved the NCAA. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it, it affects the issue of whether you control the, your own right to your image, mm. you know, so that, uh, in, in, you know, in, in some cases, college athletes are, are having their image or uh, signature appropriated on pro- and put on products without them being compensated. I don't know whether this decision covers
0: that or not. Mm. But as I said, I don't care. <laughs> you know so um yeah so what else do we have to look forward to from our our darlings at the uh, u.s supreme court uh you know I, I i really hadn't looked ahead
2: as to you know um there's a first amendment case involving the schools we talked about a couple weeks ago uh which someone uh a student who was on their own And again, the, media the, the,
0: the big goal of the uh of the uh on the right is to get a Roe v. Wade case. Well, that doesn't come up until
2: next session. Right. That'll be but, the case involving the 15-week
0: prohibition. Kind of, I kind of wonder from, what kind of uh, groundwork will be laid between now and then in terms of both sides trying to posture, trying to educate, trying to trying to move their, their argument forward. Uh, I suspect there'll be a lot of yeah.
2: there'll be a, there'll be a lot of talk about partial birth abortion. Yeah. You know, third trimester. Maybe some
0: action at the state at state levels as well. You know, well, we, we've, already
2: seen, we've already seen a lot of that, yeah. and that's, that's all sitting out there waiting to see what happens. To me, this as one.
0: a libertarian-type person who is very much pro-choice, uh, you know, it's just, I, it just uh, sh- shocking to me that we're seeing this level of interest in taking away a basic right that a woman has that, that none of us should have another opinion about.
2: I agree with yeah. you, but I don't think actually anyone really wants to do it. I think they just want to keep it in, in the face of the populace so they can rile the base up.
0: Yeah, maybe. Uh, hey, we are got to take a short break, folks. When we come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to take over the mic and welcome Debbie Griffin to the program. She's a first-time front yard gardener. We'll hear, we'll hear about how that's going back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: Welcome back to the program. This is Kathy Burns filling in for Ed Fallon. Before I introduce our guest, I'd like to thank our anchor sponsor, Gateway Market and Cafe. Gateway Market and Cafe in Des Moines is the locally owned grocery store and specialty food store that is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery services seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe like to welcome Debbie Griffin to the show. She's a good friend. She used to be a neighbor of ours. Uh, She is the pastor at Downtown Disciples, a progressive faith community in downtown Des Moines. Good to have you here, Debbie. Thank you, Kathy. It's so good to be with you. When you were our neighbor, you and your husband, Bill, had an apartment just down the street from us. Yes. And now you have bought a home with a yard and you made a decision to grow food in Your yard and not just your backyard but your front yard. Can you tell tell us a little bit about what motivated you to do that?
4: I would love to. So first of all you and Ed are a big part of that motivation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love to walk and so we would walk by your home uh, here in Sherman Hill District and we would see your urban farm. And it's just amazing and and so inspirational how much food you could grow in a relatively small space, uh, but but a lot of food. So you inspired us. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, That's uh, generous. Well, it's true. (laughs) I have never, I've never been a gardener, which is strange to say because I grew up in a farming community Mm -hmm. in Missouri. My grandparents were farmers. I've hoed beans. I have picked strawberries. I sat in my grandmother's cherry tree and ate cherries until I got <laughs>
3: sick. There's nothing better, right? This oh. is cherry. We're in the middle of cherry season right now. Yeah.
4: So I know about growing food. I mm-hmm. just had never done it myself. In fact, um, for years I convinced myself that I could only grow philodendrons. And that was it, <laughs> you know, I would kill anything else. And, and my, which is strange too, because my mother um, loves to garden. Mm-hmm. I just didn't ever learn. Mm-hmm. And so I've never done it before. And when Bill and I decided that we were going to buy a home, and if we were going to own land, which is a, struggle for us to that's think about that's a hard word to
3: say to, uh, land ownership is a difficult concept it
4: is because and it's we rude. know it is rude. <laughs> when we know that we don't own the land correct and our faith you know bill and i are, are both um, people that try to to follow in the way of the old 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 texts and uh, scriptures and so we know that we don't own land we you also, paid for it but
3: you don't own correct. it. correct
4: <laughs> and also we know that it, it's really stolen land mm-hmm. um, it's a land of indigenous people yes. uh, so we take that very seriously and we wanted uh, if we decided that we were gonna have property that we were gonna caretake and mm-hmm. we were gonna be good stewards of what we've been given to care for mm-hmm. in this life, then we did not want to be mowing lawn, we didn't want to mm. be using propane we, or um, fuel, fossil fuels, mm-hmm. and we wanted to give back. So, uh, so we took the leap of
3: learning <laughs> how to garden. How's it going? It is so fun. You have two raised beds in your front yard. That's right. In the front yard. So that's, not everybody does that. Right. right. And did you start anything in the parking strip yet? The area between the sidewalk and the street? Not yet, but we intend to. So we hope that will all be um,
4: flowers, native Mm. um, prairie flowers in the parking strip area. And you and and Ed helped us think about placement uh, for our uh, food that we grow and I wanted to start with five beds because that's just my personality. I, you know, I don't like to do anything um, a little bit. So uh, I was going to start with five beds, and uh, fortunately, my husband and I are opposites in many ways, and so he got me down to two. Okay. And uh, and it's going
3: two I, is good. Uh, two they're, is good. They're four by eight beds. Yes, it's four a foot great, by eight foot.
4: And he and a person from his church built them. I love them. They They're have, beautiful. They are, and they have a nice big edge to sit mm-hmm. on. Um, so it's been a lot of fun learning and and failing and learning from that and having success. Um, I think the part I've enjoyed the most is watching things grow mm-hmm. and then learning um, how to use what you know, the earth has provided for us. And so it's really made my cooking more creative. Well,
3: tell me about that. I'm all about the food, as you know. <laughs> yes,
4: yes. So I I love spices and herbs, but some of them I haven't used a lot. And, and I'm not, I don't... Um, you know, do a lot of cooking, Um, we're on the go a lot, so... You
3: and Bill are both pastors at churches, and that means you're on all the time.
4: Yes, yes, so uh, it has really slowed me down Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, because I want to use these herbs, and so it's caused me to think more about what I'm cooking, and what um, flavors and smells mm. it's really and as a pastor there's so many connections for me to my faith and scripture um, about the earth and the goodness of the earth do you and, have a favorite oh I, I love um, this story of uh, of Jesus's parable where, he, of course, Jesus does a lot of parables because he likes challenges to think for ourselves, All right? about the stories. That's right. It's about the stories and calling us to, to really think and not just be spoon-fed. Um, but there's this one uh, about the kingdom or the community of God is like a woman that takes a little yeast and mixes it um, with a little flour, and a little water mm-hmm. and needs it. Magic happens, that. and magic happens. That's exactly right. <laughs> Kathy. So I love not that. to put words in Jesus' mouth. Right, that's okay. I think it was about like I that. Got magic <laughs> happens. That's right. And um, so when I think about, I I've been able to take these these herbs and and the spinach and the lettuce uh, and mix it with other things and create Mm -hmm. and then have something to share um, with others. Lovely. It's been so fun too when neighbors walk by and they look, you know, at the garden, and I'm like, "Oh, would you like to have some herbs?
3: Because oh. I have more than enough." Oh, uh, there's a nice community about that too. Have you met yes. some people you didn't know before that I way? I have,
4: I have, which okay. is great. You get to meet people who are new to the neighborhood, mm-hmm. so it's fun to be able to meet people as they walk by and and share what we have oh with others. Um, one of my neighbors is also gardening in a much bigger way than than I am so we're having a lot of fun talking about what's working and what isn't working and she helps me out and so that's been fun too.
3: Well I love all of that and your your space is was beautiful before and when Ed and I walked past that a few weeks ago we were really um, struck with how beautiful those beds are And we will come by soon to see what you've got growing. Great. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for being our guest today, Debbie. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks to our co-hosts today, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman, and to our guests, Dr. Steve Goldman and Debbie Griffin. Thanks also to our partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Thanks to our amazing production squad of Sherry Herdina and myself. And by the way, Ed wrote that line, so he must, he must think <laughs> I'm amazing. Thank you. You are amazing. <laughs> and to the rest of our team, Ed Fallon, Forrest Detterman, and Charles Goldman. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's program. And remember to subscribe to the Fallon Forum podcast, like our Facebook page, sign up for Ed's weekly blog, and consider becoming a sponsor or monthly donor. Help us continue to provide this unique platform of viewpoints you won't hear on the corporate stations.